So Nick, I've noticed in my clinic that for a lot of the women that come and see me, I am their only doctor. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the hardest things about that, Faye, is that it's really hard as an OBGYN just not having been in the primary care sphere for a couple of years now to know where to reach out and look for, like, what do I do to do this screening or that screening? Yeah, exactly. Like, I completely have forgotten when to screen people for, you know, their lipid panel, when to get their A1C, when do they get the colonoscopies. But the good thing is this is all there on the OBG Project. If you head on over to the OBG Project's website, they have a special tab entitled Primary Care that actually has a lot of updates regarding things like treating type 2 diabetes, screening for things like abdominal aortic aneurysm and colonoscopy, lipid therapies, all the stuff that was really, really useful to you once upon a time and you probably forgot, but maybe you need once again. And while I still tell all my patients that they definitely need a primary care doctor and not just an OBGYN, this way at least you're able to kind of hold them over until they do find that PCP. The OBG Project has a product called OBG First that's free for chief residents for one whole year. If you head on over to our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar and you as a chief resident can get access to all of their stuff for absolutely free. But even if you're not a chief resident, check out the OBG Project look at the resources they have on the website, and get better in your clinic. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Over Coffee. Coffee. Today we're going to talk about abnormal pap smears, which admittedly is a topic Faye and I have been avoiding like the plague, but at the same time, it's important. It's on the creogs. We got to know it, and we're going to take a shot at it today. So our learning objectives today, we are going to review the management algorithms for low-grade pap smears by age group and HPV status. We'll do the same thing for high-grade pap smears by age group and HPV status. We'll also discuss follow-up plans after colposcopic diagnosis and subsequent excisional procedures. And finally, we'll discuss the management of other PAP abnormalities like AGC and AIS. You should remember that these guidelines assume that you have the average healthy patient without immunocompromising conditions like HIV. If a patient has HIV or something else like that that's going to be immunocompromising, check out some of our old episodes on pap smear screening and HIV diagnosis to review those particular screening guidelines because they do differ slightly. When you look at the ASCCP guideline flow sheets to the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, these seem like an absolute maze. And remembering what to do, Faye, during the middle of an exam is really challenging. Yeah, so because of that, um, today we're going to try and break it down so that you can hopefully remember these algorithms for the exam. So what we'll do today and what we think is helpful is to evaluate abnormal pap smear management systematically. So basically what we're going to do is we are going to separate pap cytology into low grade, which will be ASCUS or atypical squamous cells of undetermined significance and LCIL or low grade squamous intraepithelial lesion cytologies uh, versus high grade, which will be ASC-H and HCIL or atypical squamous cells of uncertain significance cannot rule out high grade as well as high grade squamous intraepithelial lesions. 
after you get the cytology down, you'll need to remember the age cutoffs after that. So the age cutoffs for this systematic evaluation will be 21 to 24, then 25 to 29, then 30 to 64, and finally 65 and older. For those over the age of 30, HPV status will be the next important step in the algorithm. So Faye, let's start with normal cytology because there is an abnormal result from normal cytology. Sure. So the potential abnormal in this category is being HPV positive. The risk of CIN2 or greater in this population is about 2 to 6%, so quite low. And it increases if HPV is persistently positive over time. At our institution, we type our HPVs, and this can result as HPV 16, 18, or other. If you have HPV 16 or 18, then colposcopy is recommended. And if the HPV is untyped or you have HPV that, that is not 16 or 18, then you can repeat your pap smear in one year. In one year, if the HPV is negative and there is normal cytology, then these patients go to co-testing in three years. And if the, that patient has positive HPV and or abnormal cytology, then you will need to perform colposcopy on that patient. This kind of makes sense, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have someone who's HPV positive and then they clear it and everything's fine, you don't really need to do anything. But if you have someone who has persistent HPV, then this is going to be more likely to cause dysplasia in the future. That started off really well, Faye. I think feel confident going forward. Here. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you talk to us about low grade? Perfect. All right. So Again, low-grade PAPs, we're talking about ASCUS and LSIL here. So let's start with women aged 21 to 24, so our youngest group of patients. In this population, ASCUS and LSIL actually get treated the exact same way, with the recommendation for repeat cytology in 12 months. And this is because the clearance of HPV-caused ASCUS and LSIL is overall high in this group. Colposcopy can actually lead to overly aggressive management in this population. So as long as there's no progression to high grade in 12 months, there's no indication to go to colposcopy. In women aged 25 to 29, though, this management is going to differ somewhat. For LSIL PAPs, this group will go straight to colposcopy. For ASCUS PAPs in women aged 25 to 29, there are two options. You can do reflex HPV testing, meaning that after getting that ASCUS result, it's then sent off for HPV testing, or you can do repeat cytology in 12 months. If the reflex HPV is done and is positive, then you should proceed as if this was an LCIL pap and do immediate colposcopy. The reason for that is that the five-year CIN3 or greater risk for an HPV-positive ASCUS pap or an LCIL pap in this age group is very similar, and it's approximately 7%. If the reflex HPV is negative, then repeat cytology can actually wait for three years, as HPV-negative ASCUS has a very, very low risk of turning into high-grade dysplasia. If the HPV testing, though, is not performed at all, then you default back to that 21 to 24-year-old management with ASCUS where you repeat the PAP in 12 months. A second ASCUS result or something worse than that would then warrant colposcopy, as you might consider in someone who has persistently abnormal low-grade PAPs. What about women who are older, like 30 to 64? Yeah, so now actually HPV testing should always be available for women aged 30 to 64. The management algorithm overall, though, is not going to change very much from what we just talked about. So if you have LSIL or ASCUS and it's HPV negative, again, as long as it's HPV negative, there's an 
overall low risk of malignant transformation. That risk is somewhat higher with LSIL, so you can repeat the co-testing in one year. With ASCUS and HPV negative, the recommendation is for repeat co-testing in three years. If for some reason HPV is not known at the time of an LSIL pap, you'd get colposcopy, as you would for a 25 to 29 year old. If for some reason the HPV is unknown with an ASCUS pap, you would also repeat the cytology in a year, as you would for a 25 to 29 year old. So again, not changing much in between these groups. If HPV is positive for either an LSIL or an ASCUS pap, as we talked about with 25 to 29 year olds with a positive reflex HPV, you'd proceed to colposcopy. So again, really between 25 to 29 year olds and then 30 to 64 year olds, there really isn't a lot of difference in the management of pap smears. So what about women that are even older, like women who are 65 and beyond? Are you still papping these people? Pap smears in women who are age 65 and older are likely only continuing for one of two reasons. There's either been previous abnormalities that warrant continuing pap smears, or the patient has had a lack of screening, and so they do warrant, again, just because you're not cleared, so to speak. So in this case, if you have a low-grade abnormality, an ASCUS or an LCIL pap, with a negative HPV, that should actually be treated as abnormal in this group, and at the very least, repeat cytology in one year is recommended. All other abnormalities, so anything that's HPV positive, or when we get to the high grades, we'll talk about that, but those, again, should all receive colposcopy in this group. So again, if for some reason you're doing a PAP because it's indicated in women age 65 or older, um, you should treat anything that comes back as abnormal as abnormal and probably need additional screening. So note that with these low-grade, we didn't actually talk about anything excisional at all. Low-grade lesions should generally proceed to colposcopy before you consider excision. So that's also another nice thing to keep in your head for those multiple choice questions where you can just say, oh, if I see a leap with a LCIL pap, I'm just going to scratch that out, basically. However, we have the high grades, and that's what we're going to talk about next, and it gets a little trickier here. Yes. So let's start off with the easier part of this, which is to talk about ASK-H first. So ASK-H is that apotypical squamous cell of uncertain significance cannot rule out high grade. So any ASK-H pap is going to merit colposcopy regardless of HPV status. The down-the-line management, though, after you do colpo may vary by age. So let's first talk about the young women, the women who are 21 to 24. In these women, ASK-H and H cell get treated the same. Once you culpo them and CIN23 is not present, then you would repeat their colposcopy and cytology every six months for two years. If there aren't any additional high-grade abnormalities, then the patient gets to go back to normal screening. However, if HCIL persists for 24 months, then excision is recommended. For these women, if CIN2 to 3 is present on their colposcopic biopsies or on colposcopic impression, then the management is a little bit more challenging. The risk of excision in this situation is that of increased risk of preterm delivery in future pregnancies. And with CKCs or cold knife cones, this can actually be up to 3.5 times a greater risk. Um, and with LEAP, this is approximately two times greater. Therefore, with CIN 2 to 3, observation or treatment may be pursued after engaging in some shared decision-making with your patient. So either keep watching, or if the patient is really afraid of this becoming cancer in the future, you can do an excisional procedure. With CIN2, generally, observation is preferred. The likelihood of regression spontaneously in this population is pretty high, uh, as much as 43%. Um, and observation should be with 
every six months cytology and colposcopy, which does take a lot out of your patient. They do have to come back every half year yeah, to absolutely. see you and get a colposcopy, which is not always the most fun procedure to get. If two cytologies and colposcopy results are normal, then the patient can have co-testing in a year. Um, however, if colposcopy or cytology persist as abnormal for one year, then repeat biopsy is recommended with treatment with excision recommended by two years if things have not resolved. With CIN3, however, treatment is preferred because the likelihood of regression with CIN3 is much lower, and this would prompt that recommendation for excision to prevent invasive cancer. However, if the patient truly does not desire excision, then you can discuss observation with this patient in the same way that we described before. Faye, so that 21 to 24 year old group is really challenging with they these are, high grade yes. paps. Please tell me that it's going to get a little simpler for the older women. Things do get easier, Nick. There is a lot of trouble in that 21 to 24-year group, but in women that are age 25 to 29 and women that are age 30 to 64 and women who are age 65 and above who still need uh, screening for some reason, the management of ASK-H and HSIL is the same, and it is much easier. ASK-H, like we said, needs to go to Colpo. H-cell results can proceed actually immediately to excision, or you can perform colposcopy first. Most women with H-cell will have HPV-positive testing. Even with a negative HPV result, an H-cell test carries a five-year risk of CIN3 of near 30% and an invasive cancer risk of 7%, which for some people is, is quite high, and they would definitely want that taken care of. So therefore, it's prudent to proceed with further testing in this scenario. If CIN2 or 3 is found on colposcopy as a result of either of these, then excisional therapy is recommended via LEAP or CKC. All right, Nick. So we do the colpo. We get biopsies. We do this for a lot of people. Let's say you do it for someone who doesn't have HCIL and you get you know all these results from your pathologist. What do you do after that? Yeah, so we've talked a bit about once you get colposcopy and biopsies for 21 to 24-year-olds, which again, usually is only going to be in the scenario of high-grade lesions. And we've talked a lot about how that kind of can get crazy in the Q6 month testing and all of that. So we're going to leave them out. Um, we're going to talk here on out from about like 25 and older patients because again, the management is actually the same, which mm -hmm. is really nice. So if you get if you do a colposcopy and the results come back as CIN two or three, this is going to warrant an excisional procedure. Um, excisional procedures are the standard of care for this because again, as we talked about before, the risk of progression to invasive cervical cancer is so much higher. Um, then from the excisional procedure, you're going to need to take a look at your margins. Um, whether you do a cold knife cone or a leap, um, the pathologist should make a comment about the margins of invasion or of dysplasia. Um, if your margins are negative, then co-testing at 12 and 24 months is subsequently recommended with repeat colposcopy needed for any abnormal result at that point. If the margins are positive, then you have three choices to choose from. The recommended route 
from ASCCP actually is repeat cytology with endocervical curatage every four to six months. Um, but as we talked about earlier, that's kind of a hard recommendation to follow for a lot of patients, just because, again, it's a lot of trips to the office. It's an uncomfortable procedure. Um, and so following up on that frequent of a basis may not be desirable. The second choice that you have is trying to do a repeat excision. Um, and in this case, a lot of people will tell you that if you did a leap before and you got a positive margin, next time you should do a cold knife. Um, other people will tell you that you may need to like do some different or like higher up biopsies, like getting a top hat or something like that. Um, it depends on where your margin is positive and how extensively positive it is. So, but that is an option that you could try to do if it's feasible to do. If it's not feasible to do a repeat excision and the patient is not wanting to proceed with repeat cytology, and additionally they're done with childbearing and other things like that, hysterectomy is an acceptable option in this category. However, ACOG and ASCCP state that hysterectomy should, again, only be considered if repeat excision is not feasible or if high-grade abnormalities are persisted after attempted repeat excision. With CIN1 or less on a biopsy, again, now we're not thinking necessarily about excisional procedures. And this is going to depend a little bit on what your initial pap smear was. So if you have CIN1 or less on a colposcopic biopsy with the initial pap being low grade, so you had an ASCIS or an LSIL, say HPV positive, you're going to repeat your co-testing at 12 months. If at 12 months the co-test is normal, they can have repeat co-testing in three years before resuming age-appropriate intervals. If there's an abnormality on that 12-month test, then colposcopy should be performed, as you would in the regular algorithm for screening. If the initial PAP was high-grade, though, you need to do a second co-test. So you're going to be doing co-tests at 12 and 24 months. And you need to have them normal at both intervals before then spacing out to three years and then age-appropriate intervals after that. If there's an abnormality on either of those first two co-tests, then colposcopy should be performed. And if high-grade lesions continue to be noted on this repeat co-testing, you should really consider an excision at that point um, versus the possibility of doing a re-review of prior pathology to see if it should be reclassified as potentially a low-grade lesion if, say, it was overread by the initial pathology. All right, so Faye, I think that covers all of the usual suspects for pap smears, but occasionally you get some weird stuff back on a pap smear. Have you ever seen an AGC before? I have, yes. Um, so uh, we have a colposcopy rotation, and I've done this colposcopy rotation and have seen a couple of AGCs and managed them. So thanks for leaving me the weird stuff, Nick. No problem. Um, <laughs> so AGC stands for atypical glandular cells. And within AGC, there are two categories. You basically have atypical endometrial cells and other, and we'll kind of talk about these separately. So if you have other type of AGC, then the patient should be evaluated with colposcopy, and you should also consider endometrial sampling. If the patient is younger than 35, then the endometrial sampling may be considered based on risk factors for endometrial cancer, so that would be things like obesity, exposure to estrogen, whether that's endogenously or exogenously. Um, and in patients older than 35, endometrial sampling really should be done. For atypical endometrial cells, endometrial biopsy and ECC or endocervical curatage should both be performed. Colposcopy should be deferred generally until the results of the endometrial testing is known and performed if endometrial testing shows no abnormality. 
Excisional procedures can be considered if there is concern for neoplasia or adenocarcinoma in situ or AIS. If there's no CIN2 or greater, no AIS or no cancer, then repeat co-testing should be performed at 12 and 24 months. And the last kind of weird thing that you could probably get would be AIS or adenocarcinoma in situ. So what would you do if you got that on an excisional procedure, Nick? Yeah, so adenocarcinoma in situ, again, is like that bare level of cancer where it hasn't invaded the basement membrane, but you've got full, complete thickness involved. Um, In this case, because you don't have an invasive lesion, again, it's adenocarcinoma in situ, simple hysterectomy is the preferred management. The challenge, though, in this recommendation is that AIS can be prevalent among women who have not completed childbearing. Um, And so if future fertility is desired, conservative management with excisional procedures or repeat excisional procedures can be pursued, though you should really consider doing this alongside somebody like GYN Oncology, because when that patient is completed with childbearing, they should be referred in for simple hysterectomy or repeat screening to ensure that there hasn't been progression of AIS. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our atypical pap smear episode. Thank goodness. Um, I know that this is probably really confusing for our listeners. um, So you can go and get the practice bulletin 140 from ACOG or look at the ASCCP guideline for further direction. Let's go ahead and summarize, Nick. So again, we started off the podcast today trying to set up a systematic way to evaluate a pap smear, particularly for when you're in the clinic or if you're just trying to do a test question on the CREOG. So again, you should separate pap cytology results out first into normal, low-grade, which contains ASCUS or L-cell cytology, and high-grade, which is ASCH and H-cell pathology, because many of these things follow the same algorithms. Next, you need to remember those age cutoffs that are 21 to 24, 25 to 29, 30 to 64, and 65 plus. Um, Let's start again with normal cytology. So again, the only way that you're going to get an abnormal in this category is if you have an HPV positive. If you have a positive HPV that is 16 or 18, you should do colposcopy. If it's untyped or not HPV 16 or 18, it's acceptable to repeat a pap smear in one year. And with that repeat pap smear in one year, if you have a persistently positive HPV or abnormal cytology at that time, then you should perform colposcopy. When we talk about low-grade lesions, we mean ASCUS or L-cell. And so in women ages 21 through 24, these two things kind of get treated the same with the recommendation for repeat cytology in 12 months. In women who are age 25 to 29, the management is a little bit different. So people who have L-cell, they go to colposcopy no matter what. People who have ASCUS, they can either have reflex HPV testing or repeat cytology in 12 months. In women ages 30 to 60, ideally HPV testing is done for these people all the time. And so therefore, people with L-cell or ASCUS who are HPV negative will have repeat testing in one year with L-cell and repeat co-testing in three years with ASCUS. If they're L-cell and HPV unknown, these people should have colposcopy. If they're ASCUS and HPV unknown, then these people would have repeat cytology. And if they are HPV positive with either of these, then they should still get colposcopy. Next, we talked about the high-grade lesions, which are atypical squamous cells cannot rule out high-grade or H-cell 
high-grade squamous intraepithelial lesion. The easy part of this is that any ASCH result is going to merit colposcopy regardless of the HPV status. Women aged 21 to 24 are the tricky ones here, but ASCH and H still get treated the same. If there's no CIN2 or 3 present on that initial colposcopy for these results, you can do repeat colpo and cytology every six months for two years with additional testing needed if there are persistent high-grade abnormalities. If CIN2 or 3 is present, though, the management gets really challenging with the option to do observation with cytology and colposcopy every six months until you have two normals or treatment with excisional procedure, though noting that the risk of preterm delivery is increased with a cold knife up to three and a half times or with a leap up to two times. Though despite that trouble in the 21 to 24 year old group and remembering those recommendations, it's nice that women aged 25 and older get treated the same. Ask H goes to colposcopy. H cell results can proceed immediately to excision or have a colposcopy performed first. And if CIN2 or 3 is found on colposcopy, excisional therapy is recommended. So we then switched gears and talk about colposcopy and biopsies itself. If you find a biopsy that has CIN2-3, to three, this is pretty easy. You go and do excisional procedures, and if the margins are negative, you do co-testing at 12 and 24 months. When the margins are positive, this gives you the option of repeat cytology and ECC every four to six months, a repeat excision if it's possible, or if it's not possible, then a hysterectomy. CIN1 or less will then go back to repeat co-testing at 12 months for ASCUS or LCIL pap or if the initial PAP was high grade like ASK-H or H-cell, then these people will have repeat co-testing at 12 and 24 months. If you get one of those funky results like atypical glandular cells, AGC, it's important to know what type. AGC other, which is anything but atypical endometrial cells, should be treated with colposcopy in consideration of endometrial sampling. It's mandatory in patients older than 35, patients younger than 35, it should be based on risk factors. If you have atypical endometrial cells, though, then endometrial biopsy and ECC should be performed before colposcopy to rule out endometrial lesions. Colposcopy should then be performed if endometrial testing has no abnormality. Adenocarcinoma in situ can also be a result from an excisional procedure where simple hysterectomy is preferred, though if future fertility is desired, conservative management is an option. All right, Faye, that was an adventure, and I'm glad we got that over with. Definitely. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. If you enjoy this episode, go ahead and go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or any of your other podcatchers, and give us a five-star rating and review. Find us online on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee One, on Facebook or Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee, or on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Coffee, where you get a shout out on the show, some cool swag, or exclusive content just in exchange for showing us some love. If you still need those diagrams to take a look at because everything that we're saying on this podcast is very confusing for you, go ahead and go into our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. If you have a better way to remember how to manage abnormal pap smears or just want to share some other information with us or you have a question or concern about this or any other podcast, email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.